The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. From Richard Flint International. Deep inside you, there's a power. A power you can use to meet every challenge, every roadblock, conquer every obstacle life throws at you. A power to be happy, fulfilled, successful. A power to be everything you want to be. Now, meet the man who wrote the book on human behavior. never lies. The man who can teach you how to unleash your own power to be. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Flint. Hey, Richard Flint here, and welcome to the Power to Be Hour. I am so glad that you were able to join us today. You know what? I want to tell you that I really enjoy doing these shows. Well, I guess what? I guess I just said that to you, didn't I? You know, when I started this crusade 30-plus years ago of helping people see beyond the confusion in their life, and finding and unleashing their personal power. Because I think within every one of us, there is a position of power that most of us never touch. And that's why this show is entitled The Power to Be. Because it's all about you being able to unleash the power that is within you. So when I started this process, this crusade that I'm on, I made a commitment to myself. And that commitment was this. I promised myself that I would never play games with any audience I had. You know, whether I'm speaking at a convention, uh, my summer star maker conference, uh, my mentoring, the morning minute, uh, my books, my CDs, my videos, and yes, even this radio show, that I would never play games with anybody. Because I think that life is too short And, you know, I've learned that even though you want to deal with the truth, not everybody wants to hear the truth. I mean, it was one of the things I learned when I was doing the world of private counseling. Most people want honesty as long as it's not honest. And sometimes when you have to come to grips with your life, it's really not comfortable being honest. Why? Because truth holds a person accountable for their behavior. And that's not something that everybody is comfortable with. I find a lot of people would rather live their life in a crisis or in drama than face the fact that this is your life. And it's not defined by what you say, but by what you do. It's my three little words, behavior never lies. So I have a big question for you. Ready? How often, how often do you talk about needing to take better care of yourself? (laughs) How many times have you told yourself or someone, I need to be better with my health? Oh, 
your words may not be exactly phrased like that, but how many times have you looked at yourself and thought, you know what, I need to take better care of me? I bet some of you have even made New Year's resolutions about that, haven't you? That this is going to be my year that I'm going to take care of me. But how many times does that simply become words that your behavior does not go along with? You know, you're sitting there and you're talking about taking care of yourself and your diet you know is not what it should be. You're not getting the rest. Stress is controlling your life. And every day, rather than taking care of yourself, you're actually wearing yourself out. This is such an important issue, especially in our world today where we live in this fast-paced society where there's never enough time for ourselves. So for the next two shows, we're going to be talking about heart healthy. My guests is the founder of Inspirational Health, Michelle Spears, who actually lives here in Phoenix and is actually live in the studio with me today. Michelle, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today, especially in the studio where I can look at you as we talk. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Okay. Our show is about heart healthy. And, you know, when you and I started talking about the show and we started talking about the topic, I didn't really understand the depth of what this is all about until you and I were sitting at breakfast with with your husband, Greg, and we really started talking about what we were going to do with this show. So my question to you is, why is this such an important topic, especially in our society today? Well, there are a couple reasons for that. One is heart disease touches so many people's lives, whether it's directly or indirectly. Um, I think all of us know someone who's impacted by heart disease. Heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States. It kills more women all each year than all cancers combined. Wait, Michelle, then are you saying that heart disease, heart attacks – kill more women than men? Yes, I believe so. You know, and just what you just said, that it, that heart attacks kill more women each year than all of the different types of cancer. That's astounding. Right. Well, specifically for both men and women, heart disease, which could be heart attack, stroke, there are other ways that heart disease shows itself, For both men and women, heart disease kills more of each gender than all cancers combined for each gender. Well, if that's true, why don't we hear about this? (laughs) Um, I think it's starting to become more prevalent, and I feel like we are starting to hear more about it. Um, It's just a matter of getting the word out there. It seems like that, you know, every time there is a – something going on, it's all based in around cancer and, you know, all of the cancer within women, which we need to pay attention to. I mean, that needs to be paid attention to. But all of a sudden, here we are, and heart disease affects more women and will kill more women, is this right, than all of the cancers put together. That's correct. Wow. 
and yet it's not something we spend a lot of time talking about. I feel like um, we hear about it more at certain times of year, the year than others. For example, February is heart month, so we'll hear about it in February and leading up into February. Um, where you're right, Breast Cancer Awareness Month is October. However, we tend to hear about breast cancer year-round. Yeah, and, and it's one of the things that over the years have just really driven me because, you know, when you look at uh, the disease, I mean, one of the things with men we don't hear about is prostate cancer. Yet we hear about uh, breast cancer and all this, but when it comes to really focusing, we tend to be very narrow on what we look at. And yet... In this life, in this world, the fact that heart disease will kill more women than all the other cancers put together, you would think there'd be a bigger emphasis on this. Yes, you would. But there's not there. I think we'll get there in time. Hmm. Okay, I know that probably our audience does not know you. I mean, I know you. I've known you for several years. But if, if you had to answer the question... Who is Michelle? How would you answer that? <laughs> well, that's an interesting way to put it. Um, I guess I would start by talking about two journeys that I've been on during my life. Um, and I didn't realize I was on these two journeys until I left my corporate job. And so the first journey is my career journey. Um, I started working in corporate America when I was 16. I worked in the fields of accounting and actuarial, and I was on the long-term college plan. And uh, <laughs> once I finally graduated from Arizona State University in 1997, I got dual degrees in accounting and computer information systems. I ended up uh, switching gears in my career and kind of left the actuarial and sort of the accounting to go more into technology. Um, I started a job in technology where I was actually implementing accounting software for companies. So the great thing about that was I was able to use my education and my experience. Eventually, I got assigned to one of the clients at the company I worked at, and it was an outsourcing engage engagement, so I was uh, assigned to them full-time at that point. I wasn't in a consulting role where I would go from client to client. I was dedicated to one client. And that worked really well for me for several years. And then in time, I, I just became unfulfilled, and I knew I wanted more. And I didn't know what that more was, so I stayed. Um, a few years after that, our client decided to bring our function internal. And so everyone who worked there had to interview for a job, whether it was the same job they did today or it was a different job that they wanted to do with the client. And so it was at that point in time where I really sat back and saw it as the perfect opportunity for me to close my corporate chapter. And even though I didn't know what I wanted to do, it made more sense to me to take that blind leap of faith and leave than it did to stay. And so that's what I did. So that's when um, the second journey that I was on really started to present itself more, and that's what I call my health journey. Um, of course, there's a bit of history with my health journey as well. 
when I was 22 years old, I was told I had high cholesterol. And so even though heart disease ran in both my parents' families and both of my parents struggled with cholesterol, I, uh, I thought I was too young to be told something like that. So, you know, I, even though it was there and it was obvious, I didn't really want to hear it. I didn't really want to face it. I made a few small adjustments, nothing, you know, that I really could have done at that time. So it was almost 10 years later in 1998, and my dad had a heart attack and underwent double bypass surgery. So then it was really put in front of me. This is, you know, this is in your family. This could happen. And so that's when I knew it was time for me to really take action. I didn't want to take cholesterol medication. I didn't want to be a victim to my genetics. And I really did feel that there was more to heart disease than cholesterol. So I started reading a lot and making shifts in my lifestyle, what I ate, my physical activity, and I became proactive with my health care by starting to see a naturopath and a chiropractor, and I still see them to this day. And I did learn that cholesterol is one piece of the puzzle when it comes to heart disease and that lifestyle pieces fill in that puzzle. So after leaving my job, my health journey became my focus, where it had previously been something I did when I had time and energy for it. I took time after leaving to decompress and really focus on me, and I started spending a lot more time in the kitchen and just really taking those serious steps around improving my health. Um, In time, I realized that my career journey and my health journey could be one and the same. And that's really how I came upon the decision to become a wellness coach. I started coaching with a friend, and I knew right away that I loved it. Uh, I looked into becoming a health or wellness coach and what did that entail, and I decided to complete a certification program with an organization called the International Association of Wellness Professionals. And then I also knew that my experience in the corporate world where I managed people for many years would also be a great value to me as a coach. So then that's when I decided to launch my own business called Inspirational Health. And I want to go back for a minute. Sure. Because of uh, something you said, which I think a lot of people struggle with. Uh, you were a part of corporate America for how long? I was a part of corporate America for more than 25 years, from when I was 16 until I was 43. You know, I talked to a, a lot of people who were in corporate America, and, you know, some people love it, but some people find it to be a trap. I mean, did it come to a place where it seemed like a trap for you? It did. Um, You know, it's your job, and so you're always going to do what you need to do to be successful at your job. I just just went through the motions, though, I felt like. Uh, And so... I, like I said, I just I felt unfulfilled. I felt that way for several years. And so the good thing, knowing that, was my husband and I were able to set ourselves up financially so that 
uh, when this opportunity presented itself, I was able to walk away and take that leap of faith. But a lot of people, I think, don't have the ability to set themselves up financially, so it is a lot more challenging for people to be able to leave when they're unfulfilled. Do you think the fact that sometimes these people, and, uh, you know, the word trapped, do you think that plays with their health? Sure it does. Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, plays with their mindset, and the mindset is definitely a factor when it comes to our health. And do you think that can also affect uh you know, sort of what we're talking about, uh, the heart healthiness, because I know that later on we're going to talk. We're going to talk about stress as it relates. But it would seem like that in that in that junction in that world, the stress in people would, could just become overwhelming when it simply becomes a job. Right. Well, and it's interesting. I I just suddenly had this memory about um, something I heard years ago, and I couldn't tell you where I heard it or anything. It had something to do with the fact that there, I believe there was more heart attacks on Mondays because of people going back to their weekly job. It right. had something to do with that. All right. Hang on to that thought because I want to come back to it. Okay. Okay. Because we're going we're gonna to pause and take a little break here, but I don't want you to go anywhere because I think what we're talking about, and that is, you know, heart healthy and, you know, creating a lifestyle where you actually have life is very important. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. One of the things about Star Maker, and it's the thing that we create that I love the most, you feel safe here. I mean, if you listen to some of the stories that are shared, there's some pretty personal stuff. Stuff that we normally wouldn't talk about. But what happens when you're in an environment where you're surrounded by people who really want to improve their life? Star Maker 2015. July 17th through the 19th at the incredible PGA National Resort and Spa at beautiful Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. But remember, there's a limited number of registrations, so do it now. Sign up at www.richardflint.com or call 1-800-368-8255 and ask for Denise. Come join the fast Star Maker 2015. It's an investment in your life. It's an investment in yourself and in your soul. I think if you have the desire to want to grow, take the challenge, take the opportunity. Hello, my name is Gary Gunn, and I've been uh, listening to Richard every morning probably for about six months now. And he's my partner, and he puts the soul back into my life every day. And if you're not taking the morning minute, you sure need to do it. It starts my day every day. I look forward to it, and I recommend it highly for anybody that doesn't have it. You should have it. Sometimes I just kind of think about what it says, and then I realize it really does have something to do with my life every morning of every day. We love the morning minute. It's just a blessing to our lives to be able to give us a great thought to hang on to all day long. Just the morning minute for us, it just kind of sets the day for us. That's where we really like it. The Richard Flint Morning Minute in your email. 
email inbox every single morning. You can try it for 21 days absolutely free. The Richard Flint Morning Minute could make your day. Call toll-free 1-800-368-8255 or go to www.richardflint.com and get the Morning Minute. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Before we went to break, you made a statement that was very interesting that in what you had read or saw that a lot of people, what was it, had heart attacks on Monday? It was something of that nature. Like I said, I read it years ago, so I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, It did have something to do with the stress and the um, emotional state that people were in as they were coming upon their going back to work for a week on Mondays. Did you ever get stressed when you had to go back to work on Monday? Oh, sure. (laughs) I'm sure most people do. Yeah. Well, and that leads into what I really want us to talk about uh, in this week's show because we're going to talk this week and next week about heart healthy. And uh, this week, in our time together, I want us to focus on risk factors. And the American Heart Association has a list of them. And Michelle, what's, what's the list that, uh, that they, they gave us? Sure. The list, according to the American Heart Association for the risk factors of heart disease, are age, gender, and family history. And those three risk factors, they say, of course, are not modifiable. And then the rest of the risk factors are things that are modifiable that we have some control over, and those are obesity and overweight, high blood pressure, high blood cholesterol, physical inactivity, diabetes, and smoking. Wow. But what you said is that the first three, age, gender, and family history, those are not negotiable. <laughs> those, they're just a fact. They are a fact, Yes. Okay, let's let's sort of play with these uh, one at a time. Age. Sure, age. Um, actually, before we go there, I want to just share a few other statistics, and Good. I'll be sharing some statistics throughout this show that are the top ten things you should know from the American Heart Association's 2013 update on heart disease and stroke statistics. So a couple of those are from 1999 to 2009, the cardiovascular disease, which is CVD, death rate declined by 33%. And coming back to what we spoke to earlier, however, cardiovascular disease still takes the lives of more than 2,150 Americans each day, an average of one death every 40 seconds. That's frightening. Very. One death every 40 seconds. Right. Wow. Another statistic is during that same time, the relative rate of stroke death fell by 37%, and the actual number of stroke deaths declined by 23%. Yet, 
stroke is still a leading cause of disability in the United States. So we're making improvements. We still have a ways to go, though. Yeah, but even with the statistics, the numbers are staggering. Yes. I mean, we, we have the decline, but that doesn't mean the issue is going away. Right. It's, it's still there. So it really makes these risk factors something that are very important, and, and especially that we need to be aware of them. Because, you know, there's a TV commercial on out there that talked about where the guy's sitting there and he picks up a note and it says, your heart attack is going to happen today. Or uh, there's the other one where the lady gets one and says, your heart attack will be tomorrow. I mean, no one plans for a heart attack. So we have to be aware of the risk factors. Right. So what about age? All right, age. I mean, the fact is we start to develop our th- I can't say the word, atherosclerosis, which is hardening of the arteries, thickening of the artery walls, before we even turn 20 years old. As we age, our risk for heart disease increases, and that's mostly due to our lifestyle choices. The fact is, the earlier we live a healthier lifestyle, the better that is for our heart and arteries, and that it's never too late, no matter what age you are to improve your health. So what about this fast food society we live in today where we're, we're so busy and we're, we're busy being busy being busy and, you know, there's not time to sit down and have a meal, so we pull through the fast food place. I mean, just with that one fact that by the age of, what would you say, 22? 20. 20. The hardening of the arteries. Do you, and today with as much, I don't like the word, but junk food as we eat, I'd venture to say that later research will say that that's probably even earlier. Yeah, it absolutely could. What about gender? Gender. So this is an interesting one for me because, again, I think a lot of people have considered heart disease a man's disease. And I personally think gender is less of a factor since both men and women are at risk. And more women are experiencing heart disease at younger ages. There is, of course, the belief, and I think this is maybe where the gender comes into play, where estrogen provides protection for females. And so as women go into menopause and their estrogen levels decrease, their risk for heart disease increases. Again, to me, I think gender could probably be taken out of the equation because I think if you're a human and you're alive, you could be at risk for heart disease. Yeah. You know, I was, I was sharing with you that on the flight here to Phoenix last night, I was on uh, the Internet and I, I ran across this, this interview that they did with Barbara Streisand and that her number one cause right now is uh, heart disease in women. And she was calling it the, the, the woman's killer and that it was such a profound thing and that we, we don't emphasize it because what you said earlier is true. It's like we expect men to have a heart attack, but not a woman. Right. And um, the Barbara Streisand, she recently uh, launched an initiative that's called Fight the Lady Killer. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So there, there is an increased emphasis on this. But I, I still go back to what you said, that heart, a heart attack kills one person every 
40 seconds. And, you know, it, it's not gender specific, but we do know that it is probably the top area uh, for women. And yet women don't seem to take care or, or, or don't understand that are just, you know, I'm not sure they're not concerned about it, but it's just not a priority. Yeah, it's, um, you know, for a lot of people and especially for women, we put others first and others in front of ourselves. So that needs to, there needs to be a shift in that thinking. Well, but as a female, aren't you trained that way, that you're to live for other people? <laughs> and, and I know you're not the stereotype in this, <laughs> but growing up, you had to hear this. Sure. Yeah. I mean, moms are always saying, you know, taking care of their kids first and their husbands first. And then if there's time for them, great. Usually there's not, though. Yeah. So they get their health gets put on the back burner. Right. Hmm. What about the issue of obesity? Um, actually, let's touch just briefly on family oh, history. Yeah, first. I missed it. My fault. <laughs> family history. That's number three. Yeah. So. You know, genetics does play a role. And the question to me is, how much does genetics play into the equation versus a person's lifestyle? And in all my years of looking for an answer to this question, I haven't been able to find an answer, at least not in quantitative terms. All I can find, which is still great, is that lifestyle choices do, do matter. So I know at least I'm on the right path in my thinking and in the decisions I've made. When your dad had a heart attack, uh, was that like a wake-up call for you? I mean, did it make you stop and look at things differently? Absolutely, yes. Because you, you talked about that heart disease runs on both sides of your family. Right. And that awareness created what for you? It really created the impetus for me to um, make adjustments in my life because, like I said, I didn't, I didn't want to go on cholesterol medication. That would have been an easy answer. It wasn't the answer for me, and I didn't want to live a life where I always said, oh, I'm doomed to my genetics. So with those two things, I really had to make some changes. It was inevitable. I have a feeling with this next little thought, we're not going to make a lot of friends sometimes in part of the medical community. But are we too quick to jump to medication rather than to really take a look at lifestyle? I think we are, yes. And actually, I'm uh, reading a book right now by that's written by a cardiologist, uh, Dr. John Kennedy, I believe, call, and it's called The Heart Health Bible. And he, in his book, he says um, it's all about lifestyle, really. And he says that there is no um, lightning bolt answer in a pill bottle. And that coming from a cardiologist, I mean, uh, I think there's parts of the medical community that understands the importance of lifestyle. And Next Thursday, when you and I talk, we're going to talk a lot about lifestyle, because to me, that's a big part. That's a big part of it. So what about obesity? 
So obesity and overweight, um, a couple of the American Heart Association statistics. One is that less than 1% of U.S. adults meet the definition for an ideal healthy diet. And then the other statistic is around body mass index, and that is that the estimated prevalence of overweight and obesity in U.S. adults is 155 million, which represents 68% of this group. So when it comes to the BMI, the body mass index, that's been used historically to know whether a person is underweight, normal, overweight, or obese. And I think there's a little bit of maybe traction moving away from the BMI, which I think is good. I personally don't care for it because you can have two women at the same height and the same weight, and therefore they have the same BMI. Yet BMI tells us nothing about how physically fit the two women are and like what percent of their body is muscle versus fat. Um, So to me, that's one of the downsides of using BMI. And then another factor that is less talked about by the American Heart Association is uh, waist size. And more than 60 years ago, a French physician observed that larger waists led to a higher risk of premature cardiovascular disease. So, for example, on the American Heart Association website, they say the guidelines for in the U.S. is to have uh, you're at increased risk if your waist is greater than 35 inches for women and greater than 40 inches for men. And then, interestingly enough, the International Diabetes Federation uses 31.5 inches for women and 35.5 inches for men as the guidelines. So Quite a disparity there. Yes, it is. So that's really interesting. But, you know, you look at our society today, uh, and it's not an issue for you, uh, but you look around and just the number of people who are overweight today. And I know we're going to get into this next week, but it's, we're pointing everything toward understanding this. So much of this to me is about lifestyle. Sure. And, you know, what does it mean to take care of yourself? Uh, because it seems like so many people say, you know, I'll, I'll eat what I want because I'll start my diet tomorrow. And every day that you procrastinate just gives you greater reasons to procrastinate more. And, you know, I think that, you know, if you look around what's happening, um, our society today, there is a real emphasis, especially among kids, in obesity. And, you know, we don't like the word. We'd rather call it overweight. But the reality is it is obesity, correct? And you're, even kids today, we're putting at a health risk from that. Right. Wow. Okay, what about high blood pressure? Well, high blood pressure... Um A statistic here is that an estimated 78 million U.S. adults are hypertensive. About 82% are aware of their condition, and about 75% of them use medication. But only 53% of them have their condition under control. Only 58% have their condition under control. 
53%. And the interesting thing is um, we often don't notice the symptoms of high blood pressure. We may discount them to something else like lightheadedness, dizziness, or headaches can be symptoms of high blood pressure. Wow. And, and it, it's just, a, I mean, some of these statistics are just staggering when you look at them. You know, when you have 53% of the people who have high blood pressure, they know they have it, but it's still not under control. Wow. All right. Stay right there. We're going to be right back. And I hope none of this conversation is making your blood pressure go up. Uh, because this is, some, this is some interesting information, especially if you and I are to have the life that we were put on this earth to have. And to have the power to be the person you have to be, you need to be aware of health, health of, of, of taking care of your health. So stay right there. We're going to be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. When Richard Flint walks on stage, no one is quite prepared for what's about to happen. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's about getting a little uncomfortable, experiencing emotions you haven't felt in years, even questioning your direction in life. And then, through Richard's how-to instructions delivered in his down-to-earth grassroots style and a wisdom that sounds a lot like common sense, you finally get it. You realize, all is not lost, there's hope for you yet. No one who has ever been in the presence of Richard Flint is left untouched. That's why being in a Richard Flint audience can change your life. And booking Richard is easy. Pick up the phone right now and call Denise at 1-800-368-8255 or visit www.richardflint.com for details. Isn't it about time you invited Richard Flint into your life? A friend of mine once told me he could knock a hole in any philosophy anyone came up with. Then I read the book. Behavior never lies. Richard Flint's number one philosophy, reminding you if their actions don't match their words, that, my friend, is a deal breaker. If you haven't read the book, even if you haven't been brave enough to read the book, there's one of two ways you can remedy that. First of all, call Denise at 1-800-368-8255 and she will be happy to send you a copy of Behavior Never Lies, the book. Or, you now get an audio version with excerpts from the book that comes on flash disk with two bonus programs, Mission Possible and Achieving a Five-Star Award in Customer Care. Whatever you do, call Denise as soon as possible. 1-800-368-8255. Behavior never lies. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back. I'm glad you're with us today as we're talking about your heart, uh, which I, I tend to believe is probably a pretty vital organ in your body. And your heart is actually a muscle, is it not, Michelle? That's correct. That's correct. And so 
What happens if your heart stops? Hmm. You won't be around to listen to any more of my shows, and we don't want you to not be around not to be able to listen to any more of the shows. So before we went to break, we were talking about high blood pressure. And Michelle had given us uh, to me, which is a staggering statistic. And if I got my percentage right, 53% of the people who have high blood pressure do not have it under control. Only 53% have it under control. Okay, so that means 47% do not have it under control. That's still a staggering amount. Well, and I would would guess that it's higher than the 47% because that 53% that have it under control are only those percent that are aware they have it and are taking medication for it. So there's that whole population that doesn't even realize they have it, aren't taking medication. So, You know, I know a, I know a lot of people who suffer from high blood pressure. And most of them are people who even have had physicals. But still it was not caught. So, you know... That's something that we really have to be aware of. Because uh, not every physical is a physical. Right. Well, and not only that, I mean, how often do people really even have their blood pressure tested? I, if it's only when they go to the doctor, that's not very often, most likely. And a lot of times, you know, when they go to the doctor, their blood pressure may actually be high because of what they call white coat syndrome. And so. Is that the fear of the doctor? essentially. <laughs> and so um, so it may just be, you know, it may be discounted to that. And so it really may be more of a problem for them than what they even realize. Many of us don't have blood pressure machines at home to be able to take our readings whenever we want. You know, it, it's funny because uh, when I go to the doctor, I go get a physical. And I've always been borderline with blood pressure. Uh, but when I go to the when I go to see the doctor, and they take my blood pressure, the question is always, "Do you normally have high blood pressure?" And I go, "Only when I'm coming here," because I, I think there, I think there is a fear of going to see a doctor, and I think sometimes that's why some people stay away from doing it. Anything else on high blood pressure? Um, you know, the guideline for blood pressure is, you know, for it to be 120 over 80 or lower. And the systolic, which is the top number, that blood pressure normally does rise with age because our arteries become less flexible. So that is something to be aware of. So as we get older, we need to monitor our blood pressure more. Right. And it also puts a greater emphasis on lifestyle. Right. What about cholesterol? I mean, that, this is something that you dealt with. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I still deal with it, quite honestly. Um, it's not – health isn't a destination. It's a journey. And so I am very good about getting my annual physicals. And every time I go and have that blood work done, there's a little bit of concern about how my numbers are going to come back. So even though my numbers have been stable and they're much better than they were when I was younger, um, it is still something that I think about and that I am still diligent about. I can't stop. So is cholesterol inherited? 
to some degree, yes. To what degree? I wish I knew. So it can still play back into genetics. Yes. Huh. Big one. Physical inactivity. The couch person. Actually, I'm not done with cholesterol yet. Okay. Uh, just forget what I just said because we're going to go back to cholesterol for just a moment. <laughs> That's right. So one of the statistics um, from the American Heart Association is that an estimated 32 million or 14% of adults have total serum cholesterol levels above 240. Um, I found this on their website as well, although it's not part of the official statistics that I've pulled a lot of these stats from. About 43% of Americans have total cholesterol of 200 or higher, and nearly one in three Americans have a high LDL or low-density lipoprotein um, cholesterol level. And when it comes to cholesterol, I believe the term cholesterol is too general. There's total cholesterol, and then there are subtypes of cholesterol. We need to reference specifically total cholesterol or the specific subtype when we're talking about it. Um, so that's, you know, one thing I think that people need to be educated on because a lot of times you'll hear someone say, I have high cholesterol, and it's like, well, what does that really mean? Does that mean you have high total cholesterol, high LDL, high triglycerides? I think a lot of people use those, the word cholesterol to kind of be all-encompassing and include all of that. It's like a catch-all term. Yes, I think it is. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm con- I don't know about you, but I'm confused. But I know what it says. It makes it makes sense. So the couch potato, physical inactivity. Right. So physical act- inactivity. Only twenty one percent of adults meet the federal guidelines for physical activity. Among ninth through twelfth graders, only twenty eight percent meet the recommendations. And with the technology world that we live in, I think that you know these numbers could easily just continue to decline. Um, And then really as far as physical activity, I'm not going to talk about it today beyond that because that is definitely one of the lifestyle factors that we'll talk about next week. Well, and 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 you you hit on something that's, I think, really important. I know when I was growing up, we didn't have all of this uh, technology in games. And we didn't sit around inside the house playing with our Game Boys or playing the, the games on TV. Uh, we would go outside and play. And in playing, you know, there was exercise in that. In a lot of our school systems today, they've cut out the physical activities, like the recesses. And things like that are kids going out to play because we need them in the classroom studying. But yet... It, it, it seems like that in some of our decisions, what we're doing is we're punishing these kids for the future. Because if I'm taught to be inactive today, probably in the rest of my life, if I've not been trained to the importance of that, that any kind of activity will become, will become less. And when you talk about 28% of uh, 9th through 12th graders... I mean, that's, that's, again, is staggering because we're creating 
health issues for these kids simply because we're not courage encouraging them. You know, a lot of parents would rather have their kids in the house playing a game than being outside playing. And, you know, you go out for a meal and you see a family sitting at a table and no one's talking because mom and dad are on their phones and the kids are all playing their games. And it just seems like we're setting ourselves up for health issues. And I, I know that next week we're going to get into this, but it's a pet peeve of mine of how we teach people to become lackadaisical rather than to be people of action. What about diabetes? So diabetes, an estimated 20 million adults have physician-diagnosed diabetes, and an additional 8 million adults have undiagnosed diabetes. There are about 87 million adults that have prediabetes. So type 2 diabetes is more common than type 1. And type 2 used to be considered a disease for middle-aged and older adults. However, it's becoming more common with adolescents and young adults. And the thing with diabetes is a person with type 2 diabetes has an increased risk for heart attack or stroke. Prediabetes and insulin resistance are precursors to diabetes. And insulin resistance can lead to high LDL, low HDL, and high triglycerides. Some of the important numbers to look at when it comes to assessing diabetes are glucose, which is typically the main number looked at on a blood test. And then the hemoglobin A1C is another important number because it shows your average blood sugar over the previous three months. Wow. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, we're sitting here talking about this, and we have one more on there on smoking. And, you know, it, it amazes me, Michelle, because with all of the emphasis on what smoking does to the human body, uh, that you would think that that would be one of the things that people would just shun. But yet, it, it seems to be, especially with young people, it's the popular thing to do. And, uh, you know, smoking can smoking is a habit. We know that. But it's also a disease. Because if you've known anyone who's tried to stop smoking, you know, what is it they say? It's easier to stop drinking than it is to stop smoking. And the smoking plays into our heart condition. Sure, it does. Yeah, about... Um you talked about the younger kids. 18% of students in grades 9 through 12 report being current smokers. And uh, among adults, 21% and 17% of women are smokers. So I, I'm actually glad to see those numbers where they're at, opposed to being higher. I'm sure years ago those numbers would have been higher. So there have definitely been some improvements in that area. It's definitely an area we could still improve in, though. Well, I find it interesting because, as I said here, and we look at age and gender and family history, and, and we know that these are not negotiable. Those are just facts. But when you look at the obesity and the high blood pressure, the cholesterol, the inactivity, the diabetes, and the smoking, these are all things that we can, we can do something with and we can do something about. 
and yet we, we know these are issues. But to deal with these means we have to deal with lifestyle, correct? That's correct. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we've got just a few minutes late, uh, late, <laughs> a few minutes left. So um, action steps. Sure. I have um, three action steps that people can take walking away from today's show. Um, and to me, the thinking here is information is power. Know your risk. So the first thing I would say is take a risk assessment. See where you do where you are on the risk scale. I have one on my website. You can search online, or when I'm, I offer a free gift after next week's show, that will give resources for. And what's the what's your email address? My email address is Michelle. That's M I C H E L E at Inspirational Health I N S P. E-A-R-A-T-I-O-N-A-L health.com. Okay. What's the second one? The second one is know your family health history. Talk to your parents, your brothers, your, you know, find out what your grandparents' health history was, not just when it comes to heart disease, just in general. What, where are you at? What are your risks? And then the third one is know your numbers. What is your waist size? What is your cholesterol? What is your blood pressure? What is your insulin? And when's the last time you had them tested? And if it's been more than a year, schedule a doctor's appointment and get in there and get tested. Now, I hope you realize what what we've been doing here in today's show. Uh, We've been setting you up. Uh, We've given you a lot of facts and a lot of information that you need to be aware of. Uh, If you're going to be heart healthy, these are things that you need to be aware of, uh, and, and you need to monitor because uh, a heart attack doesn't come with warnings as far as you're going to have a heart attack tomorrow. But there are signs within the body, and that if you're monitoring it, you can be, you can be aware of that. So next Thursday, we're going to get to the crux of all of this, and we're going to talk about lifestyle and Michelle, what are we going to what are we going to talk about next Thursday? Sure, next Thursday we'll talk about food, physical activity, stress management, self care, mental attitude, and preventative health care. And, and those are things that I think we all have to be aware of. Uh, what you put into your mouth, uh, you know, what do you do for exercise? I walk from the couch to the kitchen and back to the couch. Um, Stress. I mean, my very first book I wrote was on the truth about stress. And we're going to cover each one of these. So next Thursday, you be back here with us as we talk about, you know, heart healthy. And we talk about all of these different things that you can do that you need to be aware of. Uh, and what you can do to strengthen, you know, your heart. So next Thursday, same place, same time, same guest, and that Michelle is going to be back with us, and we're going we're gonna to dig into this a little deeper because it is your health, and what you do with your health determines your, determines your life. So you'll be back here next Thursday with us. Hey, and one thing, have you been to my website yet? 
Have you signed up for our 21-day free trial of the Morning Minute? Because it's there to help you with your mental and emotional health. And it's yours free for 21 days, so what is it going to cost you? Just go to richardflint.com and sign up for it. And let the Morning Minute begin become a way of you starting your day. So, until next Thursday, I just want to remind you, there is a better life awaiting you. And it's there for you. But one of the things you got to do, you got to be conscious of who you are, what you're doing, and how are you taking care of yourself. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, you can shorten the time that you have here on this earth. And we don't want that for you. We want you to live a life that has the power to be whatever it is that you were put on this earth to obtain. So, Michelle and I will see you next Thursday uh, as we continue to talk about heart healthy. Any questions? Call our people at Richard Flint Productions, 1-800-368-8255, 1-800-368-8255, or visit us at www.richardflint.com. And thanks for listening.